Let's pray. Almighty God, we look to You. And I pray that You would um, use Your Word in the hearts and lives of Your people. Father, help me to proclaim it faithfully, boldly, enthusiastically, with my heart set on fire uh, for, with love for the Lord Jesus Christ and His glorious Gospel, that uh, all our hearts might uh, be ignited um, in Jesus Christ, that none of us would ever be ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Amen. We pray in His name. Amen. People used to play a game of asking the uh, world's greatest writers uh, this hypothetical question. You've probably heard it before. If they were shipwrecked on a desert island and they could only have one book, what book would they most like to have? G.K. Chesterton almost killed the game forever when he gave his answer to that question. He said that the, the book he'd most like to have is a book about building boats. <laughs> Christians play a variation on that same game by asking theologians that if they could only have one book of the Bible, which one would they choose? And most, of course, choose the book of Romans. This morning we're going to start a new series, a new sermon series on this important book of the Bible. I plan not to get bogged down uh, and spend years preaching through the book of Romans as some have done. Uh, rather, Romans has 16 chapters. I'm really going to seek to discipline myself to um, have, have no more than two sermons per chapter, at least on average. And if... Yeah, I know, that's laughable. That's just about like me saying, well, I'm sure we'll get out before noon. <laughs> anyway, um, I... Um, I wanted to recommend a couple. Uh, this is uh, Tim Keller. Uh, his is called Romans for You. You can get it um, on your Kindle, or you can order it through Amazon or, or through other places. Um, I'm not preaching through these books, um, but if you want to read along um, as I am preaching through the Book of Romans, then. Uh, Feel, uh, feel free to, to have that because I think it probably will be useful. Um, I want to give just a brief word of introduction about the book of Romans. It was written by the Apostle Paul around the year uh, A.D. 57. And uh, most scholars think that it was while Paul was on his third missionary journey and he likely authored it while he was uh, spending two or three months in the city of Corinth. Uh, Paul had never visited Rome. That's what makes uh, the book of Romans a little unique because most of his letters are to churches that he founded. But he had never visited Rome. He knew very little about the church in that city. And so what he's doing 
is He is writing to express His deep desire to visit them and be a means of God's blessing to them. Justin just read for us this passage. But if I may, I would like to read verses 8 through 15 to underscore His desire to visit the Romans. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So this fledgling church is um, is being at the center of the world's commerce. Um, they are sharing their faith in Jesus Christ. They're evangelizing and words getting out to all the world about them. And then verse 9, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Although Paul did not know the Romans, he knew what they most needed, and what they most need is also what we most need. Even in our age of technological advance, even in our age of mass communication, even in our age of um, advances in medicine, uh, what we most need is the gospel of God. And that's what they needed. The gospel of God is the central message of the book of Romans. And this is borne out in verses 16 and 17, which is the theme of the book. So he says in verses 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. To begin the book of Romans... I first need to address a general misunderstanding of what Paul means by the gospel. There's this idea that is widespread that the gospel is simply that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins and that by believing in Him we may have eternal life and a relationship with God. And there's nothing wrong with that except it's only half the gospel. God indeed has done something for us. He sent His Son to die for our sins so that we can have eternal life and have a relationship with Him. So He's done something for us, but the other half of the Gospel is He's done something in us. God has changed us from the inside out. We are new creations in Christ. As a result, we love God. As a result of Him doing something in us, we desire to, to obey Him more than anything else in life. He has also sent His Holy Spirit to live inside us to help us trust in Him. So to be clear, God has done something for us. 
He has sent Jesus to be our Savior. He has forgiven our sins by sending His Son to the cross to pay for our sins. He has adopted us as His children. He's done something for us. But He has also done something in us. He has regenerated us. He has transformed us. And He is sanctifying us by His Spirit. And this is an important distinction to make because there are many who want the first part of salvation without wanting anything to do with the second part of salvation. They want to be forgiven of their sins. They want to have eternal life. They want to go to heaven. But they care nothing for loving God. And they care nothing for obeying Him. In other words, they only have a half salvation. And a half salvation is a false salvation. Jesus said of these people who only have a half salvation, He says, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. This person has a whole salvation. They not only are saying, Lord, Lord, but they are doing the will of their Father in heaven. He says, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you because they never had a full salvation. They were saying, Lord, Lord. They were confessing. But their hearts had not been changed. Isaiah says of these people, This people draw near with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. So to have a saved soul, you must also have a transformed heart that results in an obedient life. God does something for us, and He does something in us. Those two are never separated because they are a part, are two parts of the whole of our salvation. Now, in saying this, that we will love God, that we will love obedience, that we'll seek to be obedient, at the very same time, most certainly you continue to be a sinner. But even as a sinner, there's a love for God and a love for righteousness, of God's righteousness, that pervades the Christian's life. Because you continue as a sinner and you've been transformed by the Gospel, you're going to love repentance because it sets you back in a right relationship with God after you sin. Sin gets you out of the way doesn't mean you lose your salvation. But repentance brings you back um, into that right relationship. You'll also know that it's not your own power. It's not in your own power to please God. And so you will instinctively seek to trust uh, Him to work His righteousness in you. And so you'll be like Paul in Romans 7. Lord, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I hate, that's what I end up doing. Who will 
deliver me from this body of death. See, your, your desires are for God. Your desires are for righteousness, yet you still sin. And so you flee back continually to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul concludes Romans 7, Thanks be to God who gives us... Um, oh, how does it go? But thanks be to God through our Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So, you're still going to be sinners, but you're going to love righteousness, and it's going to break your heart when you sin if you have a full, a whole salvation rather than just a half salvation. Paul teaches this two-part gospel in Romans. Uh, This two-part gospel goes right to the heart of Paul's purpose for writing the book of Romans. Now, without losing your place in Romans chapter 1, I want you to turn to the end of Romans, to Romans chapter 16. Now, I'm assuming that everyone has their Bibles open in their laps because that is a healthy practice. And so if you've got Romans 1, keep that. And then keep Romans 16, verses 25 through 27, the last three verses. And then turn back to Romans chapter 1, now that you've found that. Don't, you don't have to read these uh, Romans 16, 25 through 7. Don't read it yet. Just keep your finger there. Look at Romans 1, verses 1 through 5. In Romans 1... Paul makes it clear that God sent him as an apostle to preach the gospel of God. So that's verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Then in verses 2 and 3, Paul said that gospel is not something that he made up. Rather, the gospel, the gospel of God, is rooted in the Old Testament. Throughout the long history of Israel in the Old Testament, God was bringing His salvation into history. So He says in verse 2, "...which He promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord." So 2 and 3, he is the Gospel is rooted in the Old Testament. Verse 4, He secured our salvation by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And we all know this. I don't think I'm teaching you anything that you didn't already know. This is Christian Theology 101. But look at verse 5. Verse 5, Paul tells us the purpose of the Gospel of God. So he says in verse 5, "...through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all nations. So God's purpose for bringing the gospel into history, according to verse 5, is to glorify the name of Jesus among all nations. And how is He going to do it? Through the obedience of faith. Whose faith? Our faith. Whose obedience? Our obedience. In other words, as Christians, we are trophies 
of the power and grace of God. When you are living for the Lord Jesus Christ, you are testifying to the world that God's gospel is powerful because God's gospel transformed a sinner like you and a sinner like me. And that His grace is enough to completely transform us. His grace is enough to completely save us. So we display God's power and glory, not simply through our verbal confession of Jesus Christ, but we proclaim the gospel of God and proclaim the glory of Jesus and His power and and grace through our increasingly... Uh, through our lives that are increasingly reflective of the righteousness of God. And this is very, very important for our understanding of the Gospel. It's very important for our understanding of the book of Romans. So listen to verse 5 again. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all nations. Now flip over to chapter 16. Verses 25 through 26. Listen and see if you hear any phrases in verses 25 through 27 that we just read in uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And uh, to give a little introduction to this, this is Paul's benediction. A benediction is a prayer that God would confer the promises of His Word into our lives. So since Paul has been speaking of the gospel of God throughout Romans, it is now his prayer that God would bring the message of the book of Romans, in other words, the gospel of God, into our lives. So listen closely for these same phrases that you just heard from uh, chapter 1, 1 through 5, as I read chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And so you hear him talking about the gospel. You hear him talking about the the uh, prophetic writings in the Old Testament and how it's now been brought to light. It was um, in Jesus Christ. And it's being made known to all nations because Jesus is bringing glory to His name to all nations. How? Verse 26. By bringing about the last little phrase of verse 26, to bring about the obedience of faith. The same phrase that He mentioned in verse 5. So this idea of the Gospel being the obedience of faith or, or rather, the, um, uh, the gospel bringing about the obedience of faith. Verse 5, verse 26. In other words, this phrase acts as bookends in the book of Romans. And my point is that the gospel is not just about forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God. God does something for us 
sent Jesus to give us eternal life, to give us um, eternal life with God, to give us a relationship with God, to give us forgiveness. But He also does something in us. Or to quote John Murray, salvation will have to be understood both negatively and positively. As salvation from sin and death unto righteousness and life. The Gospel increasingly will make us obedient to God. It doesn't just forgive us of our sins. It gloriously forgives us of our sins. But then it begins making us into who we are in Jesus. We're forgiven. We're righteous. And so now He begins. Uh, the Gospel begins making us um, righteous in our life. It begins transforming our character. I think it's clear, in other words, what the Gospel is. God's done something for you. He's also done something in you. So I must press you. Are you believing the whole Gospel or only half of it? Is it the overriding of your desire of your heart to seek after the righteousness of God? Or are you content just to get into heaven by your confession? You know, I'm, I just realized I'm doing the two-part thing and I'm starting here and I'm moving here and y'all are on the negative end of every, of every look. Um, so I guess I should say, um, I, I should try and swing my head the other way just to make sure that this group understands that they need the Gospel as much as this side of the room. James says that faith without works is dead. And I guess I shouldn't leave out you, you uh, ladies and men up in the balcony. Uh, he says faith without works is dead. A half salvation is a false salvation. Now you'll notice that I haven't said anything about the last word in this phrase, the obedience of faith. This word faith is pretty important. It is so important that it is repeated three times in verse in chapter one, verse seventeen. For in it the right and you can turn back over to chapter one now. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 17, Paul says that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God from faith for faith. What does that mean? Well, essentially, it means uh, the same thing as in verse 16, when Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And so, everyone who believes, in other words, faith. But he puts um, this in the terms that he does in verse 17 to underscore how vital, how indispensable faith is. From faith, for faith. In other words, we can only receive the righteousness of God by faith. It only comes from faith. It only comes through faith. And the reason why we can only receive the righteousness of God by faith is because we could never, ever earn it or ever, ever 
be worthy of it. The only way that we can ever possess the righteousness of God is to receive it as a free gift from Jesus Christ. But it is not a one-time deposit of faith. He doesn't just give you faith once and then turns you loose to live on your own. Rather, it is an ongoing, God-giving gift of faith that keeps us connected to Jesus Christ. Faith is the means whereby we are connected to Jesus Christ. Our salvation is in Jesus. But He died on the cross 2,000 years ago. How does the salvation that He bought 2,000 years ago and His righteousness that is His up in heaven, how does it come to us? Through faith, we trust in Him. We cast our anchor into Jesus Christ. And faith is the means, the conduit, whereby we receive the salvation of our Savior Jesus Christ, whereby we receive His righteousness, whereby we receive His forgiveness. And so... It is only through Jesus, but faith is all important. Because if you don't have faith, you are disconnected from Jesus. Or if you're trying to work your way to Jesus, you'll never ever get there. Because the righteousness of God is a perfect righteousness. And we are imperfect. We are unrighteous. As we will see um, next week in Romans 1, 18-32. In very bold colors, I might add. And so Paul quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, at the end of verse 17. He says, As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The Christian life begins by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and it continues by keeping our faith in Jesus Christ. It, um, but we grow in the Christian life by keeping our faith in Jesus Christ. Um, we live lives that are increasing in righteousness by keeping our lives, or keeping our faith in Jesus Christ. Everything in the Christian life flows out of our faith in Jesus Christ. Christ the Christian life, as Paul says, is from faith for faith. Or as Habakkuk says, the righteous shall live by faith. So Paul insists that salvation is only through faith in order to emphasize for us that salvation is not something that we can conjure up within ourselves. It is God's work in us. And this is what he means when he says in verse 16 that it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel does not bring power into our life. Nor does the Apostle Paul says that uh, the gospel has power to change us. In other words, as if the power were something disconnected or 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 only tangentially connected to the gospel. What he's saying is that the gospel is the power of God. That is the the gospel that is powerful. That it changes us. And that's my earlier point. If you are indistinguishable from the world, then you really haven't believed the Gospel. Because the Gospel, being the power of God, changes you by definition. 
you know, in verse 16, I always um, read verse 16 when Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And when I read that, I think about the gospel changing other people, about the gospel changing our neighbors, about the gospel changing our co-workers, about the gospel changing our relatives. And it is indeed powerful enough to change them. But what Paul's also saying here, and I think we often overlook, is the gospel is also powerful to change us. Whatever sin you are struggling with, the gospel is power. No matter how long you have struggled with a particular sin, the gospel is power to change you. The righteous shall live by faith. Because we are being made righteous by the powerful gospel. We are becoming... um, The gospel is working in us the obedience of faith. It's changing us. Because the gospel is God's power. It also underscores the free gift of the gospel. We believe the gospel only in response to God's work in our life. John Stott says, Ours is never other than a response. God initiates. God is at work. When we exercise faith, we are simply responding to the power of God at work in us. So even our continuation in and our growth in the Christian life is not by our own goodness. It is God's work in us. And because He's working, we respond. That's our salvation. We respond to God at work in us. And we're going to explore this dynamic in great detail when we get to chapters 3, 4, and 5. And also, since the gospel is a life of faith. What does that mean when we sin? The gospel, if the righteous shall live by faith, if the gospel is an obedience for faith, or um, in obedience of faith, what does that mean when we sin? Well, at some level, it means that we are not believing the gospel of God. At some level, it means we're not obeying or or believing the God of the gospel. At some level, we're rejecting the gospel when we sin because we're closing our hands to the gospel in order that we might open it to our sin, to choose our sin over God. And we'll explore this dynamic in depth when we come to Romans 6, 7, and 8. So the gospel is what is on display in the book of Romans. And I would be remiss if I did not mention the, uh, Martin Luther in this regard. Martin Luther, he hated God because of Romans 1.17. For when he read that in it the righteousness of God is revealed, what he... What he saw in that in that phrase, the righteousness of God is revealed, 
he, he thought God was saying, I've got to make myself righteous enough to make myself acceptable to God. And so he labored under this idea that he had to be the one who was righteous enough rather than the righteousness being a free gift from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more he labored, the more he realized that he was falling short and the more angry he became at God. He felt like God was angry at him because of his sin, so he returned the favor and got angry at God. Listen to what he wrote in his commentary on Romans. He said, I labored diligently and anxiously as to how to understand Paul's word. The expression, the righteousness of God, blocked the way because I took it to mean that right took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Although an impeccable monk. I stood before God as a sinner. Therefore, I did not love a righteous and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against Him. Then I grasped that the righteousness from God is that righteousness by which, through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us by faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. I broke through. And as I had formerly hated the expression, the righteousness of God, I now began to regard it as my dearest and most comforting word. Martin Luther hated the righteousness of God because he knew he could never attain to it. Jesus Christ has fully attained to the righteousness of God. Our sin being here, God's righteousness being here, Jesus closed the gap by offering Himself on the cross. And through Him, we receive His justification. Through Him, we receive His forgiveness. Through Him, we receive the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, the righteousness of God is nothing that you'll ever be be able to attain. Look to Jesus. He has attained it for you as we pray together. Lord Jesus, we have talked um, quite a bit about the whole gospel, or as I call it, the two-part gospel to try and make it clear You have done something for us and You have done something in us. Lord, I pray that any who have trusted in only a half gospel would cast themselves in repentance upon You. Father, for those who have never trusted in the gospel, I pray that they would cast themselves in repentance upon You. And Lord, for the precious souls that have trusted in Christ and have been walking with Him, I pray that they would cast themselves in repentance upon You. Because You love them and You are making them righteous. Lord, we thank You for Jesus. We cast ourselves upon Him. Teach us through the book of Romans what it means to live by faith. Teach us what it means, this phrase, the obedience of faith. Teach us how to be trophies of Your power and Your grace 
for the nations to see, for them to marvel, and for them to give glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.